Hi, I'm Jamie Winkup. Hi, I'm Dick Johnson. Hi, I'm Garth Tander. You're listening to the V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. The teams are ready for the Triple Crown. Looking forward to, to getting up there because uh, it's a similar sort of track surface to that in, of Perth. And uh, we had a pretty speedy Norton 360 Ultima in Perth. Stephen Johnson makes the switch. Always driven at the family business in V8 supercars anyways. Uh, the decision to come and, and drive for Erebus was a big one for me. And we look at Frosty's broken ankle 18 months on. That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Hi, this is Will Davison from the Pepsi Max Crew for Performance Racing and you are listening to the V8 Insiders. Last week, teams completed testing ahead of this weekend's Triple Crown in Darwin. HRT were at Winton where the factory drivers are confident that they've found the problem with their new front ends. The things we've been testing today, I think we've uh, definitely got a step closer to, uh, to where they're at, hopefully you know, on a level sort of playing field and, and uh, hopefully through the... Had a lot of development stuff go on the car while we've been at race meetings and it's always hard to test at a race meeting and, and obviously you need to get results at race meetings as well as develop the car. So this test has been critical for us. It's been a long time coming and we've really needed it, so it's been an important day. Whilst at Erebus, they went to Morgan Park and were able to test the new airbox and cooling package which is following on from them dumping their original throttle body design. Stephen Johnson has been signed by Erebus to pair up with German rookie Maro Enkel. It will be the first time that Johnson has driven a car not prepared by Dick Johnson Racing. This year is, is the first year for me to be able to come and drive you know, purely as a race driver, not with any other thoughts, uh, you know, not with any other worries, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, it's something that I've been looking forward to. Uh, I think that it's going to give a lot of credibility to, to, you know, not, I wouldn't say leaving the family, but, um, you know, going out and actually doing my own thing and standing on my own two feet, so to speak. And, uh, you know, that's something that, you know, I've been thinking about for quite some time, but I, I guess I've never taken that big jump. Um, this year I have, and, uh, you know, hopefully that, uh, you know, it bears well for, for not only this year, but for future years. At Dick Johnson Racing, they've wasted no time with Stephen securing his drive elsewhere to adopt a youth policy, with Ash Walsh and Dale Wood locked in to team up with Tim Blanchard and Chas Mostert. Walsh is leading the Dunlop series ahead of this weekend's round in Darwin, while Wood is second, 18 points behind. Speculation has continued on the next manufacturer to enter the series, with Volvo now in the gun sights of many. The manufacturer joins Kia, Toyota, Chrysler in the speculation merry-go-round. 
on this week's roundtable, Chris Jordan from Nissan and Peter Traveskis from FPR will talk about manufacturers and teams' perspective on where the V8 Supercar Series is now. While talking about Nissan, Rick Kelly is hopeful that the form they showed in Austin will continue in Darwin. We're really focused on trying to carry that momentum now. We've we've got a couple of runs on the board. We've really got a lot of confidence now with the setup of the car, and you know that's going to really help us um, build momentum as we move on. We know that Perth, sorry, we know that Darwin's got a very long straight with a slow corner leading onto it, so it's going to be. That part of the track's going to be tough for us, but a lot of the other parts of the track on the surface that um, is down there at Darwin, you know, should uh, should be quite good to us as well. So mixed feelings heading in as far as where we're going to be, but uh, the important thing is for us to carry the momentum that we've gained at, uh, at Texas through the Darwin event as we head towards the Enduros. Former Darwin winner Michael Caruso is looking to continue on building his year. stage of the development phase of our car, we, it's hard to have an expectation because it's, um, you know, from weekend to weekend or track to track, rather, the, um, the cars are, I guess, at different speeds so relative to the field. So, look, let's, let's see how he's there on Friday. And, um, oh, look, I have no doubt that we, we're making improvements each round and, um, you know, where that puts us, it's pretty hard to, to judge given that the uh, front straight's going to be, um, you know, I think it's over a K long there at Darwin, so... Um, that'll make things difficult, but I guess the big advantage is our car's handling really well around the corner. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders, brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You've watched the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Craig Lance. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week from FPR, it's Peter Traveskis. How are you going, Peter? G'day, how are you doing? Not too bad at all. And also joining us from Nissan Australia, it's Chris Jordan, long-time listener and first-time guest. Thanks, Craig. Guys, interestingly enough, we have you both on with a diverse background, not so much as a media background, but as working for manufacturers, working for PR, and also working for teams. It's interesting that we go up to this Darwin race and uh, we've got so much going on on all those fronts, Peter. It's uh, been a very interesting time to be in and around V8 Supercars. Yeah, look, I think especially uh, if you uh, are anything to do with the Ford team at the moment, it's certainly been interesting, but I'm sure we'll get to that. But uh, no, look, it's it's certainly been a busy few weeks for everyone. Uh, obviously, we're all fresh back from uh, Austin um, where we had a brilliant first up event and I think everyone uh, from every team and V8 Supercars uh, as well should be uh, very pleased with what we had. But uh, yeah, Darwin certainly presents a very unique challenge for us. Uh, we've had a test day since uh, we got back, so obviously lots of new things for us to sample and um, some pretty good direction at what's always been a traditionally very strong home for FPR. 
And Chris, for you, it's another brand new market for the Nissan Motorsport outfit and the, uh, of course, new Altimas. Yeah, for sure. It's um, a great event up there and it's great that uh, while the southern states are uh, bunkering down and almost hibernating for winter, that the championship can spread its wings and go up north to places like Darwin and Townsville. And uh, while they might not be the uh, intense population centres of a place like Melbourne or Sydney, uh, for a car manufacturer they're still very important, not only because of people there that are still buying passenger cars and SUVs, but... Um, dealerships up uh, the northern part of Australia sell a lot of light commercial vehicles to big businesses up there, to the defence force and obviously mining as well. So um, certainly when you're a car manufacturer, you, uh, you don't take any market for granted. Mm. Now, of course, this race is a triple crown for years. It has been a triple crown with uh, qualifying in two races. But this year, I think, Peter, they're saying it's a triple crown because they've got bikes, cars and uh, open well, sedans and open wheelers, isn't it? They've just managed to change how they're getting the uh, name plastered. Yeah, look, I think, I mean, the, the great thing about the, the Darwin event is they always have a host of uh, different categories for the fan base, so it's always a really popular event for um, everyone that goes along. Um, yeah, I know that the Triple Crown's always been, I think, interesting for everyone, uh, uh, maybe even on the outside, sitting on the other side of the fence, but um, I don't think anyone's actually won the, the V8 Triple Crown, which I believe is, is pole wins and, and the shootout, but um, it's, it's always a great event and one that I think, irrespective of what it's called, um, teams manufacturers uh, teams and you know private teams we all enjoy going there because it's certainly one of the uh, the best events for the year in terms of weather as chris touched on but also just for atmosphere and just the general um, support we get up there now the last time fpr had a win up there was 2010 in the the saturday race and you mentioned peter about the testing mark winterbottom wasn't at the testing which was very interesting he was still on a family holiday so you got to uh, blood Chas Mostert a bit more, and also Stephen Richards, I know, was enjoying a longer stint in the car. Yeah, I think Richo uh, had uh, all his Christmases come at once, a full day in the car is, is rare these days for enduro guys, but obviously that's going to uh, help him uh, adapt to things come later in the year when it all counts. But uh, yeah, no, Mark had uh, a family holiday plan, and then we went and switched the test day on him uh, fairly late on, which is uh, just really down to weather. So uh, unfortunately he couldn't attend, but obviously um, we had uh, eight drivers there in total, so I'm sure... Uh, the, uh, the pre-brief, which actually happened this morning, and the, and the debrief from the tests were, um, were certainly beneficial for him. Chris, do Nissan have a different testing uh, allowance because they're first year in, or are you with the same rules as everyone else? No. Uh, as far as I can tell, the uh, rules are the same for everyone. Uh, there are two days that are in that mix uh, as manufacturer days, and they were allocated to... Uh, Ford and Holden and Nissan and Erebus rather than two teams um, but I believe that they might have been already um, either used or expired by this point so yeah I think everyone's pretty much on the same page in terms of the test day allocation which um, as your listeners would know actually was reduced at some point early in the year to uh, keep costs down so um, I believe our guys are looking at around August somewhere for a test day so um means that the team at Nissan Motorsports had a bit of time to rest and recuperate uh, after Texas. Um, a few of the guys, like a lot of people in Vet Supercars, have stayed over there for holidays and things, which is a pretty important thing, really, because uh, the workload has just been extreme you know, across the whole championship, all the teams, especially the teams with new manufacturers. So uh, I believe that the, uh, the extra days for the new manufacturers uh, were really uh, a part of those uh, manufacturer days that all the teams got. 
Mm. Now, Chris, uh, there was a lot of talk uh, and buzz around the pit lane that we could see a bit of an exodus of crews members after the circuit, the Americas. And as you mentioned, the workload across all the V8 supercar teams has just been horrendous. Have we started to see people moving out of... uh, out of the teams since they've got back? Have we had a lot of people put their notice in? Uh, well, not to my knowledge, but uh, I'm not as close to it as a lot of people these days, Pete in particular, working directly for a race team. I'm probably a step removed being at the manufacturer at Nissan Motor Company, but um, you're right, it's a very important issue because um, it's really hard to, um, to to get across to people exactly how hard these crews and teams work. Um, there's huge churn um, in pretty much every race team, even even the teams at the top of the grid. Um, they work the guys so hard and they do such long hours. And um, it's a really... The, the racing environment is, is really unstable because uh, if, if you do what some teams have had this year, Lucas, Dumbrell Motorsport comes to mind where we've had a lot of crashes, um, that can double the amount of hours that a mechanic or an engineer or a fabricator has to do across a week. And you can't plan that. You can't plan with your wife and your kids that you're going to have to do a 100-hour work week because um, as soon as an accident happens, it throws out your whole life. So uh, there's a lot of churn and there's a lot of three-year cycle. The guys sort of look at their supercars and go, wow, that's so exciting. That's more exciting than working in a normal workplace. Year one, it's all a bit new. Year two, they really get the hang of it. And then year three, they, they burn out. So um, it's a big issue, and it's one that I don't think the sport has ever really come to grips with. They've tried lots of things, but um, motor racing is just really hard on the uh, the crews. Mm. Peter, what about at FPR? Oh, look, no, I'm... Uh, I think, uh, thankfully, we haven't seen anyone uh, leave at all. In fact, we're actually recruiting, so uh, that's always a good thing. But, um, no, I mean, to Chris's point, it, he sort of hit the nail on the head there. It's it's uh, probably one of the more unique work environments in the world, and it's it's certainly uh, extremely appealing from the outside, but obviously it's, it's a very tough industry and uh, generally only... Uh, uh, draws the best people from each industry because um, you look at our teams they're very diverse workplaces we've got obviously people that um, work on the race cars and engineers and people that are workshop based and people like Chris and myself who have come from a very different background on sort of the, the media and commercial side so um, there's a lot of, of strain on people and obviously uh, it's a business which is centred around its people uh, and every team is only as good as the personnel it assembles so we uh, we ask a lot of all of the people that work for us but um, obviously we generally tend to uh, try and uh, group together the best people uh, available so um, you hope that uh, their will and desire to stay uh, in the sport and, and win the races and aspire to championships is, is enough to keep them but inevitably in any industry you get people that come and go it's just a, a natural part of life. Mm. Well once again I've managed to get myself completely off topic here because we were supposed to be talking about what do we expect at Darwin do we expect Chris to continue obviously the uh, good form of Nissan but do we expect anyone from uh, the other teams to be able to match the uh, team voter, the, the team voter phone, the Red Bull Australia uh, juggernaut that seems to be back on track now. Uh, look, um, you've seen a few teams really um, match Triple Eight uh, when all goes well. Brad Jones Racing, uh, Ford Performance Racing, obviously won a race there in New Zealand. Um, so when everything's going right for a team, they can challenge Triple Eight, but it still does seem to be um, the Triple Eight guys that are consistently at the front. Um, for the, for the new manufacturers, Nissan and Erebus, um, that big, long front strut might mean that uh, the results, maybe the Nissan aren't as good in Darwin as they are in Texas, but that said, they've tried to keep a lid on things this year and not really 
keep expectations too high, so they could surprise. There's a lot of former Darwin winners um, in the Nissan camp, so uh, fingers are crossed. But in terms of consistency, um, AAA is always hard to go past, aren't they? Hmm. What about you, Peter? Has FPR, you think, been able to bridge the gap in the in the few weeks since we were in Austin? Oh, look, I think with our uh, our test day, we like to think we've started to um, to do just that. I mean, Darwin traditionally for us has been very uh, very encouraging. Uh, I think um, I read today that uh, an FPR driver, including Alex, now uh, we've snared. Uh, I think it's the last six pole positions in a row there. Uh, which is obviously a great stat, but uh, you've got to translate that into race wins. And, and while we've had some wins there, it has been a couple of years since we've stood on the top step. Um, so I think for us it's about um, you know, maybe getting a little bit more out of our tyres, uh, which is certainly a deficit we had there last year, albeit a minor one. Uh, so um, I think with the new car, the guys say a few things should carry over from the old car in terms of characteristics, which uh, is encouraging for us. But um, we're obviously, um, you know, we've under underperformed slightly uh, recently and that's something that we, we're keen to eradicate and um, the guys are very confident that they've found a few things so um, we're looking to uh, yeah, not only get those poles again but uh, obviously ensure that uh, come race end we're uh, at, the, at the pointy end where we want to be Well it's interesting because uh, uh, excluding Alex Davison on the Sunday 2010 race who is now an FBR driver of course uh, Mark Winterbottom or Will Davison have had the, uh, have had the qualifying upper hand but, as you mentioned, it hasn't translated through to race wins. In 2011, we saw Rick Kelly and Shane Van Gisbergen both take race wins from what we consider as the big two, which is, of course, FPR and also uh, from Triple Eight. And, uh, Peter, that's the sort of thing that uh, always is a worry when you have these, uh, particularly with a new car now, offering more opportunity. You've got more people you've got to look over your shoulder and, and try and defend. And we've seen that all year. I mean, from Quipsal, we, you know, that was, a, I think, an eye-opener for some of the um, maybe more traditional fans that are only used to seeing one or two teams winning, especially in the in the season prior. But, uh, no, Darwin's one of those races where I think, uh, whether it's the conditions or the nature of the track, uh, it's quite high deg. Um, you get a lot of interesting results. Uh, and this year, you know, especially with the new cars, a uh, mixed tyre format, uh, the 60-60 Super Sprint race format, um, I think anything anything goes. Uh, I'd imagine that uh, generally you'll, you'll find that, the, I guess, the teams that you expect to be at the front, perhaps there. Um, but uh, I would expect that um, there will easily be a challenge from, from one or two other teams as we've seen all year. So, look, it's, it's actually quite exciting. I mean, obviously, from a manufacturer point of view, from our team point of view, we want to be doing better. But um, sort of taking that hat off and sitting on the fence a bit, uh, it's certainly been an exciting season uh, for, um, for any uh, fan um, watching on TV or, or trackside. All right, I'll put you on the spot before the break. Who's going to win, Peter? Um, I've got my money on Frosty, actually. He's, uh, he's 12 months uh, just over it. had over 12 months due for a win and uh, he loves that place and I know he's motivated um, after uh, after Texas so uh, that's where my money lies Alright Chris are we going to be politically correct here? Uh, well yeah I'd have to throw a Nissan driver in there so it's good that Rick Kelly's a former winner up there uh, recently but uh, yeah I think Pete's actually uh, not too far wrong with Frosty because um I'd, I'd like to know. I don't think Frosty's got a win this year yet, and that's probably pretty rare for him over the last five or six years. You'd think by June he's usually racked up a win. So um, although he might have missed that test day, um, maybe uh, that won't hurt him at all. Richo's given him the good setup, and he might go up there and uh, punch out a win. Mm, well, we need to take a break here on the V8 Insiders. Back with plenty more right after this. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. 
Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Hi, I am Alexandre Prema from the Fujitsu GRM team and you are listening to the V8 Insider. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining me, Craig Revell, is Peter Travaskis and Chris Jordan from FPR and Nissan, respectively. And whilst we're talking about Darwin in the beginning, I, I think it's interesting because uh, both of you have experience with manufacturers. And Peter, you're at Toyota, I guess at a time where a lot of people were talking about Toyota getting into V8 supercars and you had to deal with the constant pressure of someone always saying that uh, your manufacturer is going to be joining the series. Yeah, look, I think, uh, I mean, obviously it hasn't come to fruition yet, and for me that was a few years ago now. But, um, no, I mean, I think Toyota, for a lot of people, keeping they the, the market leader on road car sales was a, an obvious uh, easy link to, to join. But, um, I mean, at that time we had our Formula One program up and running, and that was a sort of central part of my job there, uh, and also our Australian Rally Championship program. Uh, and um, that was very successful for uh, Toyota as a manufacturer. And for them it, at the time, and obviously I'm not sure what they're doing now, but um, at that time it was all about showcasing uh, road car technology, especially through the rally program. Uh, so I think um, people were trying to draw some links there, and obviously it made some great front pages and some headlines, but um, I'm not too sure how much uh, strength was behind a lot of those rumours that were banging around there for a while. Yeah, and Chris, of course, some of the mock-up cars looked fantastic as well. Yeah, it was interesting that I guess in the um, in that period of 10 years from uh, Viet Supercars to really going from strength to strength from 99, 2000, 2001... To, to the end of the decade around 2010 yeah it was um, Toyota and Mitsubishi that often had um, mock-ups on the covers of the magazines back then even the even the way we digested media was very different back then but um, yeah now now we've seen as the Supercup has decided to embrace uh, new manufacturers it's, it's been Nissan and, and we've had a, a customer arrangement with the AMG Mercedes-Benz through the Erebus organisation and some rumours of uh, some other interesting manufacturer and team uh, arrangements uh, across the websites the last week or so as well. So, um, but, but certainly, yeah, Toyota. I think um, Toyota will be linked to uh, almost anything to do with motorsport because they just they are so big. They clearly do win the sales each month, and they're a big company. So I think they're uh, the first one on the list, the first cab off the ranks. So they're the easiest one to speculate about. Well, what what's Nissan? In V8 Supercars 4, Chris? Well, look, if you actually just look at manufacturers in motorsport globally, there's, there's three things that really tick a box um, to, for a significant motorsport investment. That's uh, a rub-off and benefit on your primary brand, so as in Nissan or Toyota or Holden or Ford. Um, if you go down a step to the nameplate, so for us, we also get that benefit as well because uh, we're using Vet Supercars to showcase Altima, which is a car and a nameplate we've never sold in Australia before. So we want to really grow the awareness uh, of the Altima nameplate and the body shape and all those things. And then the third one that Pete touched on with his uh, Toyota relationship in the past was um, technology. And uh, that's probably the third on the list for us, really primary brand and the Altima nameplate are the two big reasons we're in Vet Supercars. But... A third benefit that we get too is also we're able to say that we're showcasing Nissan technology 
in our V8 supercar in the VK56 engine, which is also the uh, V8 engine that appears in the Nissan Patrol and, uh, and the Nissan Titan, which you might have seen in Texas, but we don't sell in Australia. So I think if you look at almost any motorsport sponsorship for a manufacturer, um, they're the three big ticket items that uh, you'd like to do. I guess one, one technology um, motorsport sponsorship that is a big deal, I think, is Audi. Audi do a good job of at Le Mans, showing off their diesel stuff. And um, almost any sponsorship you do, motor racing or otherwise, has a really big benefit for the primary brand. Peter, it's interesting because now at FPR and the speculation about Ford's future, you're probably trying to reinforce all those things back up the chain rather than where we see Chris pushing it down. Yeah, look, I think, I mean, obviously for us, we're a slightly different position to, to where Chris and his team are, but um, the um, the reasons that Ford uh, are in the sport are, are really no different. It's obviously about um, yeah, polishing the oval, as we call it. But um, it's uh, it's certainly been um, an interesting period, but Ford, I mean, they, they obviously see value in motorsport. That's why they've been in it for so long, and, and globally, they're obviously large supporters of, of motorsport, whether it's uh, on a world scene or a, a domestic market scene, depending on which which market they're in but um, no look uh, I think for every manufacturer uh, your job uh, isn't an easy one because obviously there's lots of pressures on from, from fans and from the company itself but um, it's it's certainly been a, a busy uh, period for us uh, with what's uh, transpired with their local manufacturing but um, that's a deter from what we're doing as a, as a race team obviously we're still all about uh, helping Ford sell cars and, and linking back to what um, we do on the racetrack as to what they do on the road so um, no, our, our job hasn't really changed that much uh, despite what's been happening. And critically it is important to point out that Ford have only announced that they're not going to manufacture anymore. They haven't said they're not going to do any of their other branding and advertising, which, of course, if they want to keep selling cars, they still have to have a marketing and, uh, and have to have a campaign going, uh, going because otherwise they just won't sell imported cars. Oh, look, absolutely. I mean, uh, there's been, I think, a, a perception that Ford's actually leaving the country, which is obviously... Uh, uh, the furthest thing from the truth, and um, they'll obviously, you know, they'll uh, become a, a completely import brand, um, along with many other companies uh, in the market, including in Nissan and obviously uh, Erebus, which are also sort of manufacturer represented. So it's not unusual. It's just going to be a bit of a change. Um, but obviously for us, it's um, you know, uh, it, it's business as usual, and um, and for Ford, it's it's all about trying to promote the brand. And obviously they've got associations with us and Geelong Football Club among two of the more prominent ones, and they're still going to need um, these sorts of platforms to promote um, promote their cars. So mm. absolutely. Now, how much does the team need to have a manufacturer for FPR? Of course, it's Ford. But if if Ford was to move out, how much does the team need to then get another manufacturer in there to support it? I think it obviously depends on your team. I mean, Chris is probably well-placed to actually answer this because he's um, been on the, the Kelly Racing independent side and now the manufacturer side, so he's obviously seen both sides of the coin where I've only had the uh, the manufacturer side. But obviously for FPR, we've been uh, forward aligned since in, since day one and um, we don't see that changing, so it's not something that we've really had to uh, have cross our minds uh, as just yet. All right, I'll put the question to you, Chris, because as Peter said rightly, you, you've seen both sides of the Kelly Racing Nissan Motorsport coin. Yeah, I think if you look at the grid of their supercars at the moment, um, no one really ever gives away the exact dollar amounts that they get from manufacturers. But it's clear to say, for example, that of the uh, two front-running Holden teams at the moment, uh, there's no doubt that the Red Bull guys probably get a significant investment from Holden and the Racing guys probably don't 
get anywhere near that level, uh, if any, involvement from Holden. However, both of them are still running quite well. So you can say that you can survive without manufacturer investment, but what a manufacturer does in this day and age is effectively means you can sell your naming rights sponsorship by. So um, if you look at manufacturer teams in the year 2000, around that time, you had Ford Tickford Racing and Holden Racing Team who got significant investment from Ford and Holden and then gave the whole livery to the manufacturer as a result. Now you've got um, the FPR guys with Pepsi Max, you've got the Red Bull livery and Holden at Triple Eight, and then you've got both sides of the Nissan Motorsport camp with Jack Daniels and Norton. What they've effectively done is sold a naming rights sponsorship twice. So in terms of revenue, the manufacturer can put in a lot of money but still allow the team to sell the doors and the bonnets because they get a lot out of it through their technology, through the body shape, the nameplate, the badge on the front, the windscreen stripe, the fact that everyone is always referring to the car as a Nissan, as a Ford, etc. Um, it just gives you that chance to, put it simply, sell so much more sponsorship space. Obviously, uh, Peter, you uh, have to be mindful of the fact that, yes, you can sell that sponsorship space and you've got the double sell potentially going. So you have to be mindful that if, if the circumstances change, what's your plan B? Oh, look, of course. I mean, uh, any any solid business obviously always uh, considers all options, even if they are extremely remote or unlikely. But, um, I mean, Chris touched on a great point. You know, it's uh, manufacturer investment uh, obviously is uh, is very critical to teams like ours and, and to the Nissan program. And um, the ability for us to have great partners like Pepsi Max, Bottolo, Gel when on board um, is really thanks to, you know, Ford allowing us to obviously have a, a larger budget. But in the current climate, you know, budgets are tight for everyone. So... Um, you've certainly got to, uh, I think, uh, thank them for their investment and uh, obviously do everything we can to ensure that they're getting maximum bang for buck, um, whilst also you know, working very strongly with non-automotive commercial partners because obviously that's a huge revenue stream for us. Mm. Now, putting your PR hat on, obviously the more sponsors you have, the more pieces they want of the team to do their promotion with. Driver appearances, cars being put outside shops and things like that, Peter – how difficult is it when you have to coordinate all those parts of a thing, particularly on a race weekend and particularly when the round is so far away, like Darwin, New Zealand and, of course, Circuit of the Americas? Yeah, look, I think the remoteness of it probably doesn't change too much simply because this is our profession. We you know, spend our lives travelling around um, Australia and parts of the world to, to do what we do with our different partners and with our race team. But um, the... You, you're right. The obviously the amount of uh, of space we can sell is limited to an extent, but we actually we look at a lot of diverse partnerships. So ones that necessarily the public may not see, but for you know those sponsors that are involved with us, um, it's a it's a critical relationship for for both sides. So whether it be technology partners that uh, help us design our cars and manufacture our cars, uh, and their benefits maybe aren't seen by the general public, to obviously the likes of you know the Pepsi's, the Castrol's, the Fords, West Trucks, those sorts of guys who are obviously investing heavily in our team, and they want um, you know a lot uh, for an investment, which is, is rightly so. So yeah, I think it, for us, has really come down to the fact that we can diversify investment. We've got a large facility here in the north of Melbourne, which you know we've got uh, corporate facilities, so we can have uh, companies come and have their AGMs here and, and whatnot, and we can facilitate too as a facility. And, and really, we've got a quite a diverse suite of assets, uh, I think, if you want to look at it that way, that we can actually look at um, selling to potential partners. So um, for us, it's, it's trying to look outside what people would consider to be the sticker on the car mentality, which is obviously a part of it but uh, it's not everything 
obviously, Chris, uh, for you at the moment, it's it's getting cars out there and getting into the public awareness. Yeah, certainly for the for our program at the moment, um, we've got to do it a step at a time. We can't sort of roll the cars out for round one and uh, base all of our return on investment um, for us as Nissan and also for the sponsors, particularly Jack Daniels and North, um, on winning. So um, it's got to be pretty clever but I think even the best teams can't base all of the return on investments or sponsors purely on on-track results um, a big thing we've found coming in as a car manufacturer has actually been how great it's been for us to work with the existing sponsors for the team there's probably not a week that goes by where Nissan as a business not Nissan Motorsport as a race team isn't dealing with Norton uh, or Bisley uh, or even some of the other sponsors like Autodesk or Castrol or Sponsors big and small from the race team that, that we've met and got a relationship with because of Nissan Motorsport, but we're doing business that's got nothing to do with their supercars. But that's how we came together. So that business to business type stuff is really important. And again, like Pete touched on, it's the sort of thing that's a real benefit, but not something the public might ordinarily see. Um, but yeah, there's all those things. And race teams are so smart now. Um, AFL clubs are also very good at it. I think that's the difference between professional sport and semi-professional sport these days is that the teams in, in professional sport, I, I mentioned AFL and various supercars and, and NRL as well, they're very good at um, switching from a sporting team to a business and really delivering, again, that, that return on investment. You'll hear marketing people call it ROI. Um, delivering ROI is what keeps those sponsors coming back the next year because only one car can win out of 28, so the other 27 have to find another way to deliver that ROI. And I guess, uh, Chris, critically, over the last five years, the business-to-business relationships have been harder and harder to cultivate. And at one stage there, we were seeing corporate marquees taken out in, in great numbers. And that's where all that B2B work was being done. Uh, some of actually Peter's former sponsors, Orcon and Lawrence and & Hanson, and those type of companies were critically using business-to-business. Pertech before that, uh, they were using it uh, as brand awareness but also using it as rewards for their employees and for their uh, franchises. So I guess we've seen a, a shrinking of the corporate spend and that's meant we've also seen a shrinking about supercars corporate funding. Well, you touch on an interesting point there, uh, the revenue going to V8 supercars. Um, I would suggest that the business-to-business relationships are still happening, but that perhaps companies have got smarter and realised their dollar will go further if they do those things and have those relationships away from a race event. Because the, the problem with V8 supercars, it is such an expensive exercise to leverage every single event. Because if you leverage sponsorship for the uh, uh, Collingwood Football Club, you know that you just go to the MCG every Saturday or Sunday. Vets Supercars is far flung across the globe. Um, taking people to all these different events is very expensive. Uh, catering for people at an event, setting up a corporate suite, paying for them all to get in, um, paying for the space to have an activation at an event, it's all very expensive. And Pete had a great point about Ford Performance Racing in their facility. We're lucky our race team at Brayside on the other side of Melbourne, Nissan Motorsport, is at their level as well, a really high level of race team with a boardroom and function area and a mezzanine that looks over the race team. We're doing a lot of our business-to-business stuff. They're at home office 
at Nissan Motorsport. It's only a few kilometres away from our Australian headquarters at Van Nuenong South. Um, we can do it there and we can control it and it's a lot cheaper. So I think that in these times of austerity where people are really trying to uh, save every dollar, I'd say the business-to-business stuff's still happening, but perhaps not at the racetrack. Mm. Well, guys, we could talk about this for quite some more time, but I know you're both getting ready for a big weekend in Darwin, so I best let you go. But thanks very much for your time, Peter and Chris. Pleasure, Craig. Thanks for having me. The White Flag Lap is up next, brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers, and this week I spoke to Frosty Winterbottom about the recovering of his ankle. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Jonathan Webb from Techno Autosports, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lap, brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers, I caught up with Frosty Winterbottom in Austin, Texas, and he was wearing thongs. It was the first time I'd seen his ankle since his surgery back there a year and a half ago, when, of course, he broke it whilst having a water skiing holiday over the Christmas break. I asked him about the ankle and how it was feeling. Yeah, that's fine. It looks looks pretty average, though. It's a pretty ugly foot, so... I'm not going to make a gumboot model or a thong model, but um, I'm the foot thong model, that is. So, uh, what, yeah. you reckon you could get away with the other yeah. thongs? Well, um, yeah, I'm not going to give myself a pump up, but um, the, yeah, it's pretty bad. It's not, not that good, but he had to cut quite deep and get the tendons off the bone, and mm-hmm. it was um, not as easy as what the surgery was meant to be, so um, got the battle scar to prove it. But all that says is I'm not very good on a water ski, really. It's not, not much else. No water skiing before you get home to Australia? Uh, I just had the guy from uh, from Malibu back in Australia say he could hook me up with a boat in Las Vegas when we're there on one of the lakes. So, um, who knows, never say never. <laughs> Thanks very much for your time and look forward to seeing you in Darwin. Yeah, it'd be good. We'll go good at Darwin, so uh, it'd be nice to get back on a track we're competitive at and try and get some results. My thanks to Frosty there. He will be in action up in Darwin, and as you heard, he is going in there as very much the favourite. And if you want to see what that scar looks like, go to the sportradio.com.au website and you can see that photo on the webpage there. That's all we have time for this week on the V8 Insiders as the checkered flag waves over another edition. My thanks to Peter Travaskas and also to Chris Jordan and to Frosty there as well. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.